It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seabock.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gathering here of IO's HR and One Actor as we dive into the world of work cookie, one giant and enormous work hodgepodge with chocolate chips added. Jeremy, (laughs) today we're going to talk about how AI can help humans become communicators through IO psychology principles. That's a mouthful. What are we going to what are we really going to talk about today? We're going to talk about one or two lots of things today and I decided 3 minutes ago next week because our topic is to be determined we're, we're going to make this a part 2 for next week cuz whether it's me and you or destiny and you it's uh destiny will come in a different perspective and then if it's me will of course obviously be a zigzag of a conversation cuz you know how we do it Tom. So I'm going to put I've I've written a lot of things and statements and I'm going to read. So I have this AI disclaimer that, that of my own disclaimer, and I'm just going to read it because I just wrote it. I don't know enough to take a stand on whether AI will be a net positive or negative for society. In other words, half people say it's going to kill everyone. Half people say it's the best. So my experience, knowledge and gut feeling is that it will in the end be a net negative. Yes. In the end, and you think about it, the end is very arbitrary, but it's kind of a cryptic statement. And there is research that shows there's gut to brain hormones that where you're going with your gut sometimes actually has something to do with a connection with your critical thinking in your brain. So I'll add that. However, this goes to my other way of looking at it, as well as other things that I look at in life. So I have three, three steps. Number one, everything you have zero control over is good. Using wisdom and strategy to create an opportunity or defense from it to use to your advantage or prevent yourself from being manipulated, all with the goal of doing good for yourself and others and being ethical every step of the way. So everything that you have zero control over is good. All right. Yes, there's traumatic events and so forth. But again, what I said, using the wisdom and strategy, create opportunities. Number two, if you could, should, or should have had control over it, learn from it and see number one above. And three, if you have control over it, learn from it and see number one above. So do we want to, if something is going to be a net negative with the potential of it, because we don't know yet, is it not best to learn as much as we can learn from it? And that way we can use wisdom and strategy to create opportunities to either provide a defense or prevent ourselves from being manipulated by it. That's my disclaimer. How did I get to thinking about that? Many of you have, we've talked about it and we've, uh, I forget, I think it was maybe Marissa or Megan Malone did a, somebody put up on LinkedIn about this book. And we've talked about it before. It's called A Chance Encounter. It's a short book, author anonymous, ghostwritten by Ken Roberts. Basically, this was a piece of paper that was found in an airport stuck inside a magazine. And this guy, Ken Roberts, decided to publish it. 
And coincidentally, the page in the, the that in the magazine where it was featured was an article called Chance versus Fate. And when you look at it, it's basically a lot of bad stuff happens to different people, but they say, why is it bad? Yada, yada, yada. It's a good book, by the way. Good luck finding it. I don't think you anyone can find it. It's a little blue book. doesn't even have an ISBN and it has gold writing on it. If you can ever find a copy, I have to try to get one. Now, how do we prepare for this particular session meeting event that we have today? Tom, we've talked a lot about how we use IO psychology to find out what we already know and then transfer that to an unknown problem or engage in further discovery. Because this whole AI thing, really, we're talking about the past two years. We're talking about by popular demand within the past just number of months, really. So obviously, there hasn't you know, any time to have studies, do run the data, get those studies published, and to have that. I was able to find a few, and I'm going to put in the chat a couple of interesting related studies because it's not necessarily, oh, you know, AI and human interaction or AI and better communicators. We look for the different types of variables and what matters. And I looked at anything from AI prompt engineering on how to create generative art using AI and how can you how you can do, use better prompts and better questions. Because I'm looking at, again, it's an interactive process when you're interacting with a chatbot, for example, to get to where you want to be. There's some interesting information that I found in related and non-related AI studies, but are all related in some way to communication. I have some thoughts on that. And when I ended, what I did is I went to ChatGPT and I asked good, I asked questions related to this, related to today's topic. One thing I found, and what I did is I started thinking I should share my experience doing my own digging versus ChatGPT when preparing for this event. Because again, we're talking about the whole idea is going to be communicating better as humans, better negotiation. And by negotiation, I mean either real negotiation or navigating conversations and leading them to a better place than they normally go, et cetera. So I'll mention this just in terms of the prep. I felt more productive on my own. I felt obviously more in control. When I, when I used uh, GPT, it just felt like I was cheating. However, the idea started to flow better with AI. Because I would I would have to garner, I would have to change my questions and interact um, in a certain way to get the answers and the insight I was looking for. And I think what that did is it triggered, triggered a certain part of my mind as if I was talking to somebody and it allowed the ideas to flow better. And I saw my, found myself taking more notes and inspirational ideas. I found that when I was doing my regular research, it involved more of looking at these research articles, the PDFs, even websites, highlighting ideas, and then writing short comments. Whereas with GPT, I got more inspiration for ideas. It seems like there it seemed like there was some kind of self-reflection or interaction that that kicked in. So I wanted to mention that. And then the last, I'm going to stop there because there's so much here, but, but in terms of sharing, I'm also going to share like an 18 page PDF of my, the interactions with chat GPT that also included, that included a lot of questions. And I made, I, I trained GPT, the GPT first to say, basically, you're an expert in IO, you're an expert in AI, you're an expert in human, human interaction. Do you understand? It spits out what it normally does. So it knows the, how, how we're going to interact with it. And all my questions were, what are effective ways that humans can ask questions 
to gain insight when researching for new perspectives? How can we communicate more effectively with AI? How can we communicate more effectively with each other? How can we more effectively navigate AI chatbots? How can we more effectively use IO psychology XYZ? And the interesting thing is you get a lot of qualitative data here. You get a lot of narratives. And through that, uh, you start to find different themes. And it's interesting when you look at the themes that cross over with the AI, with the prompt, uh, prompt generation, with the IO. And if we have time, there's even, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into, I have a little game we can play where I'm going to say, all right, here was the question, was or here's the answer. Was this to this question regarding AI or this question regarding humans? So I'm going to turn this back over to you. I see some hand raised and a special welcome back to Asif Hader. Go ahead, Tom. Well, thanks very much, Jeremy. That's a great lead in. And, and you're right. There's hands popping up everywhere. So Brendan, let's go to you. Well, I'd, I'd say, Jeremy, that you are already like six steps ahead of a lot of people who are now just getting introduced to it because I'm working with a lot of people and I'm introducing it and they're just getting like the basics. And um, I almost, it reminds me a lot of like, there was this stupid bot that used to be on AOL Instant Messenger and used to be able to have a conversation with it. And I think I've like, when you're trying to broach the subject, I tell people it's a smart version of that that can do stuff for you. Um, so that they can start to gauge it, but you're like training it like um, like it's a Pokemon or something, an intelligent Pokemon. So you're like six steps ahead than the average user right now. But I would say with regards to the inspiration part, it's huge because there is so much that we don't get started and we procrastinate on. And you can have chat GPT start a template of, uh, you know, a, a, a template start a paragraph for you that you could start using and start building upon and editing. And I think from the human inspiration portion of it, it's great to stop procrastination because it gets you started on something, um, which I think can be extremely helpful because I think that that's what so many people struggle with is just finding a starting point. Well, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about all the grad students who may be listening to Work Cookie. Can they use chat gpt to write their thesis and is it going to be allowed so i my personal opinion is that that's probably unethical because you should still be writing it yourself i could see possibly asking it to paraphrase for you because there's already been existence technology for like 10 to 12 years although it was you know when i was going through grad school it was still terrible so there was no point in using it Right. Um, and it would like paraphrase a word. And basically what it would do is it take a word, use a synonym, and it didn't make sense within the context of the sentence. So it was easier for you to just do it yourself. I think chat GPT is taking that to the next step where it's going to paraphrase words for you. It's going to logically make sense and form a cohesive statement. But I would not have it write a paper for you because even at the same time, you're not learning anything from that. And that is the point of going through school is to learn it, how to do it on your own. It's the same concept of when you were learning math in middle school and high school, you have to learn the formulas and the ways to do it first before you can use it in a calculator. You may never use that formula again, but at least you know the backbone of where it all comes from. And that that serves for root cause analysis so that it's, all right, 
if you type it into a calculator, you can't figure it out. But if you did it three different calculations and then you can figure out what's wrong within the context of it, it's the same concept. Well, it's not ethical, but are students still going to do it? Um, I have a lot of things are illegal, but I promise you people are still doing them. So, yeah. <laughs> well, then we're getting to the ethics now. Asif, let's go to you. Uh, just to follow up with what we've been discussing with Brandon and Jeremy. Um, yeah, so I think the latest news is that um, some professor did fail some of the seniors who will not be graduating uh, this summer um, because of Chad GPT scandal, right? Um, the whole class pretty much cheated off of Chad GPT. Now, <clears throat> as the same breath, I want to say that I, I don't find it to be uh, uh, a cheat, actually, because how we've learned for the last 100 years is different from 200 years ago. And how we're going to learn in the next 100 years cannot be the same. Uh, I just refuse to believe that. Um, so prompt engineering, uh, one that uh, Jeremy has put out in the chat, is one of the good example of what next 100 years of careers looks like, right? That ability to prompt engineer from our organization at this point, today's market, I think the going rate is $300,000 plus in a salary, right? If somebody is able to do prompt engineering, because there's not that many people doing that work. So guess what that means? The, you know, the next... 10 years of roles and careers that we will have, if you look at it from a hierarchy perspective, majority of them will be based on AI machine learning capability, right? How do you uh, design one, you know, non-technically? How do you develop one, very technically? How do you deploy one as a monitoring customer service, right? So you will have all these roles that we already have, but put AI and machine learning on top of it with that certain skill set that comes into it. So those are the those are the roles that will evolve over time. So if I may say solution architect for technology purposes, well, your solution architect used to draw up a piece of paper or draw up a document inside of Word document to you know go through the whole mapping, right? Well, now you go to Microsoft Designer and you're able to type in a solution that you're looking for using just human language, and you're able to see a draw up that a solution architect probably will take six or seven months to draw up. Right. You're able to find all sorts of details on cost analysis to your you know, uh, impact analysis to requirement gathering documents to design document. And not only that, you know, you will have an archive version of it, which is that uh, so, uh, no, what happens after you do deploy that project. How do you keep up with that project so you can do version iteration controls? Right. Those are happening instantaneously. Right. So these titles that uh, will change this prompt engineering may sound brand new, but all the other titles that are already existing will just have AI machine learning uh, put into it. Now, going back to uh, something that Brandon has mentioned about education, uh, how we learn is is changing based on the fact that we are not in siloed learning environment anymore. Because how we teach in school, you grade, you are graded individually, but in your work environment where you are a person who's you know 18 or so, um, joins the work environment, and in your work, you are not likely to work in the silo at all. It's all about you know, cooperating with other person and cooperating in a big group, cooperating with multiple groups, and and you know um, having that. Uh, communication plus, you know, sharing work, delegating, or, you know, uh, all the terminology, all the vocabulary I can put into it is not what's being taught in school if they're taught and graded for their individual performance. That individual performance set your neurons to perform in a silo, right? The neurons that fires together, wires together. That means if you're taught that for 18 years of your life to work in a silo by yourself, it takes some adaptation in the universities for six years, however long you're in school for, to go through the process of relearning how to not, you know, grade yourself individually, but rather to grade yourself according to your team or your involvement within that team, 
right? Um, so AI machine learning to develop, uh, I think Jeremy mentioned net negative. Um, I have other things that I can add to that conversation, but um, I will just leave it at that. Then, you know, I just want to continue with what we started with so far. Well, thank you very much for that. And Lee, let's go to you. <clears throat> Man, so much, so much to unpack. Um, the as far as the the education goes, uh, one of the gentlemen that is regular on the in the uh, in the pop up networks, we've had several good conversations about AI, and he's talked about he's he teaches, and he's talked about students turning in Chat GPT generated papers without actually un Chat GPTing them, and so if you if you deal with it, there's a style, and you can learn to recognize that style. So if they don't make it their own, then it's kind of obvious. And there are also tools out there to detect it, that you can run it through there and it goes, nope, this is, you know, 90% likely have to have been written by that. So, you know, the the key is like anything else that we have is to use it as a tool, not as a crutch. And, you know, it, can it be a positive tool? Absolutely. I mean, writer's block is a thing. And, and when you've got a deadline coming, it's still a thing. And so if you can get something that will take you beyond that, you know, that's a tool. But, you know, it's just like, you know, driving down the road with the microphone up to your head, you know, dictating notes as it comes out of your head. But the key is you got to make that you got to then take that and you have to use it as a starting point, not as the end. Uh, and I think that's where uh, a lot of the shortcuts come in. And we're going to have some issues with that that, that are going to need to be resolved and some ethical dilemmas and that sort of thing. But uh, to one of Jeremy's earlier points, I think that the AI could be a fantastic tool in the I.O. realm, because when it comes down to it, a lot of what we need is not so much the answers, but the right questions. And working with something like an AI makes you work on those questions, because a lot of times what you really want the answer to is not what you just asked. And we all know that from the other side. I mean, how many times we've gone in and dealt with a client or somebody and they give you, this is what I want. And you're like, are you sure that's what you want? Yes, is what I want. And you give it to them. They go, that's not what I want. But that's what you asked for. So this kind of goes to the same side of that as where you work on those prompts and you can actually get to the heart of what you're actually trying to ask when the language didn't quite translate the way that you wanted it to. Uh, so for that, as far as in, in the machine learning, I mean, that it, that could be huge just in improving our ability to ask the right questions. Well, let me ask you, because, you know, Jeremy mentioned at the top of the show that, you know, he spent some time training this this AI body thing um, <laughs> and, you know, to give it some IO psychology knowledge. So is that something that, you know, every IO should be doing right now is teaching their, you know, the, their computer system, or is this something that can be added to and so that all the IOs get together and we create one really, really smart version of this program. So like the chat GPT IO edition? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and in the future, that could be. I mean, we've got a lot of really tech savvy IOs who could potentially make a version that is specific, that has that knowledge in it. Because, you know, one thing we have to remember with this is that the input matters. If it's crap in, you're going to get crap out. So you go into the AI, you give it this information. What you get back may not be correct in reality, but it's correct based on the input that the, that the, the AI has. And we have to remember that AI is just like everything else in the world. There is a bias there by who put it in. So you have to understand that and not just understand, you know, think that the AI is a totally neutral source of information. So you have to kind of you have to gauge that. You don't just take anything. You know, it's a trust but verify situation. 
you don't just take what it gives you and go, oh, that's the gospel truth, because that's likely to end badly. So you, you have to really make sure to do that. And and as far as what you were talking about with the training, that is a huge thing because you got to remember that it's going to go with what it already has. And so when you go in there, you have first thing you have to do is wipe the slate clean, you know, wipe off, clean off the, the dry erase board. You have to go in there and tell ChatGPT, forget it all. This is our context. And if you forget that important step, you're going to get something really, really skewed off of what you're trying to get. And you're going to be like, oh, look at this great thing I have. And then people are going to look at you like you're an idiot. So you, you have to, there's, there's steps. And, and just like everything else, we probably need a checklist to make sure you don't miss these steps. Um, and also when you're using these things in a business context, you have to, uh, and, uh, you know, like it was stated a while ago uh, about, you know, version control and whatever else. It retains this stuff. So if you use your business or government or whatever information and you go into chat GPT and you may get some phenomenal answer, but guess what's out there now? The information that you input, that chat GP is not just going to spit back out and you know into the trash. It's going to retain that. And if somebody else knows how to get to that, your information is now out there. So this is just another way that we can unwittingly put personal business or, or potentially even classified information out into the wild uh, unintentionally. Yeah. Uh, uh, can right. I interject quick? You sure can. All right. So it's this, this conver- I, I love this conversation. So for, for everyone in the audience and for everyone listening <clears throat> in our minds, part of what I'm going to say is making sure that we stay on track with the human, with the making humans better communicators. We on the pan- panel, we're talking about that. And let we just have to be a little more clear on that. And also, if you're listening to the recording, think about what has been said in that regard. Because everything that Lee's saying is exactly on point. Think about it. He's talking about steps. Talking about if you're going to be using sharing information, how do you get that information to be retained with AI, and how do we get certain information to be retained with other people? And sometimes that's a matter of like simple, you know, elaborative rehearsal and different psych techniques with, uh, with, with training and adult learning theory and perspective and all that kind of stuff. So we are on track, but we just have to make sure that we continue with the explicitly stating how these things relate because we're just naturally going to zigzag because it's such a new topic and there's so much to talk about. Tom, I'm done. <laughs> and we are talking about communication. So right now, I think, you know, we're mostly focusing on, you know, the written skills of communication, but I could also use it to work on a speech, could I not, where I'm, you know, trying different phrases and sentences. And, and this program has actually helped me create context to then give a public presentation. I could have a smarter presentation. Yes. Yeah, so Tom, was that a question to me? Yeah, or just oh. a general. So like I can now say to it, I want to find a quote on this and it'll find me a quote. Yeah, I'll let I'll let that for either Amani or for for someone else because my mind's in a different spot. Um, <laughs> well, Amani, let's go to you. <laughs> that should not be to me too. I will help us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you stick with your comments. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hey, everyone. This is Imani, an emotional support counselor. And there is a button I've noticed um, within my what my expertise, you know, emotional counseling and stuff. So I just wanted to bring a point across uh, when somebody say that it's unethical academically. There is a pattern I've noticed of the older generation. I'm sorry to say, older generation, there is a way they want us to kind of uh, 
to kind of like have a systematic kind of thing. If you haven't gone through what they went through, you kind of like don't qualify somehow. And I've noticed it either within my family members and also in my line of, you know, expertise where they will tell you the one to three steps to that, you know, one to three steps. And then when you kind of like come up as a young person and you do it in a better way and in a very fast way, you get like a backlash. I've seen that in my family. And then, then if it's not within my family, you get like resistance. And that's the kind of thing I'm seeing going on with a with a AI thing. So when you say it's unethical, I don't know if people are noticing there is also a skill within there's a skill people have to even use ChatGPT to use to use AI. I literally somebody say when you kind of there's a way you ask uh, these AIs a question and they will literally tell you, oh, I'm not an emotional being or something like that. I can't give you an answer. And when I change the the questions, it kind of like gives me everything I need. And I'm, mind you, I'm dealing with cases whereby it's, uh, I have to, to get answers which are emotional related. And I have to get answers whereby I'm like dealing with a case that has to have the one to three steps within the emotional kind of like field or counseling. So I've literally used ChatGBT to get me answers. So when you say it's unethical to be used in thesis, I'm like, these people are going to have ways of how they're going to be training the AIs, the ways of how they're going to be getting their answers, and they're going to be rereading through their papers. So it's also a skill to use chat, these um, AIs. So when you say it's unethical, I guess it has to be in a way, it, there's something that has to be reevaluated within an academic world for you to be able to be accepting of, of these AIs, because they have come to stay, and we just have to find ways of how we can like incorporate them within our you know, line of work. Um, that's all I just wanted to say. Like, there's a little bit of resistance that's going on because of the older generation being resistant, or they just want us to have the systematic way, and they don't want to get out with get away from what they know. So that's all I just wanted to kind of like bring to your attention. Thank you so much. Well, on behalf of the older generation, <laughs> I have to admit, like, what now? I've got to learn another program. I thought this stuff was supposed to make my life easier, and I've been told that for like. 20 years. So when's it going to actually make my life easier? And and yes, I'm sorry that if you're not as old as me, if you're not of my generation, you haven't suffered enough. <laughs> you don't qualify. It's I'm like sorry. if you're gonna if you're gonna build a fire, the best way is just get two sticks and rub it together. Anything else, match letters, you know, no, that's the cheating way out. Get two sticks. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of I.O. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your I.O. path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an I.O. psych practitioner, check out CBOC's I.O. Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established I.O. practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's I.O. or applied I.O. psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand, and get solid, real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Jeremy, let's go back to you. It's going to be interesting to see when we look back or 
you know, that's five, five years from now, somebody comes back and listens to this podcast. So right now it's what 2023, man, this is going to be such a Sega Genesis game boy telephone booth conversation. It really is <clears throat> on that note. Think about this question. Would you answer? Well, answer, answer in your minds this question. And then if you could just like put some stuff in the chat or shake your head or whatever, words are not powerful in general. Words are not powerful. Do you agree or disagree? Everyone's doing a circle, so I can't tell whether it's a yes or no. (laughs) Disagree. Okay. So everyone disagrees, strongly disagree. Oh, somebody added a strongly in there, which wasn't even an option. I love it. Thanks, Nick. (laughs) So think about it. You open up a dictionary. Do the words have much power or impact? They're just words. It's when you combine them is when they have their impact and their real power. Even two words together. Actually, even one word together, especially if it's a four-letter word you know, addressed to you. But in general, 99% of the words in the dictionary, they're words. They're just, they're words. So it's when we put them together. Um, I'm reading, this, this, this caught my eye. I'm, I'm reading our daily bread today. I'm going to read this. This was, it's, it's a proverb on gossip. It's Proverbs 18, 1, 8. I'm going to emphasize what happens when we put words together. So an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against it, all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. When wickedness comes, so does content. With shame comes reproach. The words, I love this, so poetic. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It's not good to be partial to the wicked. And so deprive, you can see, I see, I can't like read from something. I like messes everything up. And so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of fools bring them strife. I love this. And their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of gossip are like choice morsels and they go down to the inmost parts. Now I jump over now to looking back at how I was interacting with AI and trying to put this all together with how it, it, when we interact with other people. One thing I noticed, if anyone's used GPT, you feel like you stump it. You feel good because you put in something and all of a sudden it's like thinking. Usually it spits it out right away, but it's thinking, you know, like, oh, I asked a really good question. I stumped it. And then you realize that happens in conversations. You feel you stumped somebody. However, did I stump GPT or was my question not good? that it had to find a workaround, figure out exactly what I was asking. So now we can start to make these parallels with human interactions. So do you really stump someone or is your pers- or, or are you not taking their perspective and making it easy to communicate with them so that they can provide a good interaction with you? Also, with after writing a prompt, sometimes looking back, I could immediately see an effectiveness mistake. Now, when we do this with you, actually, do we do this with human interaction? Or do we only see a human mistake or, or, or do we only notice a mistake in something we say or a question we ask when we immediately either feel like we offended someone or feel like we didn't get a point, our point across? And I say this, both of those are selfish feelings. Both of those speak to only feeling misunderstood, which is self-interest, or feeling the need to become defensive and protect our integrity, which is also self-interest. So if we can immediately interact with a, a chatbot and say, oh, I made a mistake, I could have asked a better question. Why aren't we learning from that and pausing more in our own human interactions? Because we can easily go back and just 
edit the question or ask the question the right way a second time. It's just, we can do it. We're not going to fin the chatbot. But with human interaction, does it not make sense to put a pause in thinking so that we're making sure we're making better statements and making sure we're asking better questions because we don't have a such an edit or delete button? Now, then I started thinking, like when I'm doing an executive coaching session, or for example, with, like when Destiny and I are in meetings, it's further proof that the effective interactions are driven by good questions and that it's also a science and it's an art. It, it also feels good. And this is when it, do, it also does feel good. It feels like when it can feel like you stump somebody, but that's good. Like when, when you're in a meeting with a client or a meeting participant pauses, they look up to the side and they go, that's a really good question. But they say that in response to a question that you really thought about and took time to think about. That feels like hitting a three-point shot. And on a deeper level of understanding, perspective, and capability on the part of that person, because Tom, you've heard me say this over and over, the majority of our conversations should not be for probing and trying to understand ourselves. Someone comes to you with a problem, we jump into problem solving. When we can be more effective as people by helping them to get to a deeper level of that actual conversation of that, of whatever they're dealing with. So that they can think about it on a below a surface level rather than the usual, oh, that person should have said shouldn't have said that, or oh, uh, whatever, just completely agreeing with them, verifying that what they're saying, and then it's confirmation bias all the way. So it's also good, it's also a good feeling because you're in your own headspace of a not prejudging what a response might be, and certainly not judging an actual response. When we can live in a state of actual curiosity and discovery. It is a peaceful place. So when you're living in a state of curiosity and discovery, it's just, it feels peaceful. Try it on your kids, your honey bun, like your, your friends, try it in work situations. It's very effective. And when you live in that state of curiosity and discovery, it takes a lot of pressure off of the most difficult of conversations. We're not making statements that can come back to haunt us because we're simply asking questions. And the other person, and Tom, you might've heard me say this one to a thousand times. You allow that person to feel heard and understood oftentimes without them saying, saying much because you're asking questions that are meaningful to them rather than that are meaningful to you. And I'll end with this. So it wasn't until I put the 18 page PDF in the chat for you guys of my interaction with chat GPT for today after I did all the research. And it wasn't until I think all of the questions except for one that I posed finally then did my brain work and get to the question that bore the most fruit because I had to have that interaction. And it took me not just knee jerk because the first questions are really knee jerk, right? Think about in our conversations. Generally, we don't have deep conversations with people that last long because it's either problem solving or whatever, and we jump into the wrong role. But And, and we usually just go to knee jerk responses. But if you pause, you take that time to ask good questions, eventually you can get to the question that matters. And eventually you're leading that conversation to a place better than where it's normally headed. And the, the end question that bore the most fruit out of all of them was, it was, how does the study and practice of AI prompt engineering positively impact how humans can effectively interact with and communicate with each other? That's what I think bore the most fruit in terms of what I was doing, but it took a while. And this gave this exercise in doing this was great practice and asking questions in different ways to get the desired result in depth. Now, Tom, I'm going to steal. 
because there's a lot of hands raised and I don't know if I'm going to have a space again. So I want to do a quick quiz for everyone, if I could. I thank everyone for your patience. So I'm putting a poll up to see if it shows. How do I launch? All right. So I'm launching this poll. So I'm going to ask a question that I shared that I asked GPT. And then you have to answer, was the response or was this, I'm going to give you a response that, that GPT provided. Now, my question is, as you can see in the poll, are these related to the question, how human, how can humans communicate more effectively with each other? Or how can humans communicate more effectively with AI, which is exactly what we're talking today. So here is the, here is the, the question that I'm going to ask. All right. All right. So here was the answer given. Now you put in the poll, the question that I asked. And I won't go into the description. I'll just go to the bullet. Use clear and concise language. Be specific and provide context. Ask focused and well-structured questions. And again, for those of you listening on the podcast, is this to the question that I asked, how can com humans communicate more effectively with each other or with AI? Continuing. Consider different variations of asking your question. Avoid assumptions and biases. Provide feedback and iterate. Use clarifying statements or follow-up questions and understand the other person's, sorry, I may have, listen, 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 I altered that one. So it may have not been the person's. So don't let that bracket that I'm the judge. You have to put that aside, pretend that never happened. Understand the other beings, perspectives or limitations. Now I did alter that question from the start. So were all those related to how can hum humans the question asked, how can humans communicate more effectively with each other? Or how can humans communicate more effectively with HI? Speak now or forever. And I mean forever hold your peace because this is a point in history. It'll never happen again. Log it. The results are coming in. Oh my gosh, the results are staggering. All right. So we have 11 results, 12 results, 14, 15. All right, they keep going. We have 10 billion results. Now, 58% of the people of the respondents here said that those were the responses to the question, how can humans communicate more effectively with each other? 42% said that was the response to how can humans communicate more effectively with AI? This is why we have this topic today, because 58% of you were dead wrong and 42% of you <laughs> were right. But I will share this. The interesting thing is some of those were actually in the ones for, for humans as well. So when you look at the themes, because there were a lot of different questions I asked, a lot of the themes are the same, but that speaks to why we're having this conversation today, because how we interact with AI is often how, I'm sorry, how we can effectively interact with, with AI is how we should be effectively interacting with other humans. All right, Tom, I'm out. And there are lots of hands up. So Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, Jeremy just said a lot of interesting things, but I had a few comments from before, but it's interesting to think about how our interaction with AI can make us better communicators. And I think that's true. I think we've been talking about training AI and I've been learning along the way. So one of the things I've learned is you should always tell AI who and what it is for the purpose of using it. So I will start and be like, you are an expert industrial organizational psychologist. You have 10 years of consulting here. And like, that's a really good way to train AI. And then I, I 
I going back to the very beginning of the conversation, Jeremy thinks it's going to be Dr. Jeremy think it's going to be a net negative. I say this jury's still out. I think it's potential to be a net positive. And it is tricky in the domain of education. I see both sides of the spectrum of what's been said already. Sometimes you need to learn things. When I got to grad school, I was a decent writer and I submitted something to my advisor and she was like, she was like, you're going to get better and you're going to get to a PhD level of writing. And she was like, I can't tell you exactly how you're going to get there, but you're going to write and I'm going to give feedback and you're going to write and I'm going to get feedback. And that was a five-year journey. And I don't know how, but I significantly improved my writing quality through that process. And I've also been a professor or an instructor at a university. And I can tell you a lot of students are just trying to get their assignments done. So if they're like, submit a two-page paper on how the industrial revolution changed the workplace and how that's continuing to shift. And then they put that prompt into AI and get a two-page paper and just submit it directly. What are they learning? So I think education, we need to come back to what is the objective of the training for the students and how do we ensure that they are reaching those learning outcomes? However, for the professional realm, I think that there are just so many ways that it can contribute to communication efficiency, productivity, and like Dr. Jeremy was saying, exploration. So I found this useful for developing emails. So I used to spend 10 minutes trying to craft a nicely written email. And now I'm like, please write a reminder to the leaders to submit their booklet after the succession planning and tell them that it needs to be in by Wednesday. And I hit submit. And then I do that training with the AI, actually reduce the text by 50%, make it sound friendly or more empathetic, make it sound more confident. And then I take that and then I current and then I continue editing. But that first step saves a lot of time. And you can do that for looking into content. So I need to develop a lunch and learn on diversity and why we should value it in the workplace. I think that AI does a good job of, it's not a factor analysis, but I think of it as a factor analysis of taking everything that's out there in terms of written knowledge on a topic and sourcing themes is similar to what a factor analysis does and can come up with a really great outline of content that is in the domain of the content you're trying to develop. It can create activity ideas to make content more engaging. I've seen it even come up with a values activity. Um, So all this to say that I think it can be a helpful tool for the professional realm. And it does require a critical review from experts. And hopefully you've done your education that has prepared you to use it. But I think that as we go forward, we're going to be competing with other experts using AI um, and that it's going to be a both situation. Well, thank you very much for that. And Nick, let's go to you and your little friend there. (laughs) Yes, I do have my sidekick today. Um, It's a really interesting conversation. And I feel like the variation on the theme is, you know, when you're dealing with AI, you know, you're not dealing with a person. Uh, It's a shame Dr. Martha's not here because she's always the one who reminds us that it doesn't have feelings. Don't personify it. It's, It's just cold logic. And we have, we have personified it. We have humanized it to a degree where, you'll hear people say, oh, it's smarter than me. Well, no, it's not. It just has access to everything a lot faster than you. It processes quicker than you do. Um, And so just remembering that it is machines that have have learned, quote unquote, they have done the iterations, they have crunched the data over and over and over. Um, It's it's one of those things where it it does have a lot of power. It's a very powerful tool. And the more we start thinking, you know, sci-fi and that it's going to gain consciousness and all this, it can be a really scary field to navigate um, to the point about making people better communicators. 
if you remember that it's a machine and you have to tell it exactly what you want, A, you have to take a step back and figure out what do I exactly want? Um, and then B, how do I, you know, get that there and being critical of the answers. I mean, I've seen people in the chat um, focus on false citations or, you know, the, the hallucinations and everything that they're called because it sounds convincing. It looks convincing. Um, but I can be very convincing if I'm BSing somebody on a topic I know nothing about. So I think there's, there's that critical thinking elements that seems to be waking up um, to, to say, okay, I've got to look at this. I've got to revise it. I've got to use it as a tool and a starting point. Um, and I've got a kind of trust, but verified sort of mentality um, and hopefully that would go to all aspects. You know, if you're looking at an email or things like that, you know, was this written by a human or by AI? We've got to, you know, that bell will start going off in people's head as well. So I think just that that media criticality um, is good in general. Um, it takes effort. It takes concentration and not everybody wants to do it. Uh, but if that is a byproduct of navigating the new AI field, uh, yeah, he's excited about it too. Um, I think we'll, we'll be in a better spot for it. Yeah, a lot of this will work, be worked out by the time he hits the workforce. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, Jeannie, let's go to you. Yeah, so I just wanted to um, answer Jeremy's questions a little bit earlier about, um, well, first of all, when you talk to anybody, you have to kind of set the boundaries of, you know, what knowledge do you bring to the table? But isolating, I had an undergrad teacher once tell me you have to pretend like your audience doesn't know anything. You have to strip away everything down to the bare minimum. And so if you say it in your research paper, you have to cite it. You have to say how you know what you know, and you're educating the other person basically on everything. So um, talk to them like they don't know anything at all. So when you're telling AI to forget everything I told you, um, and then you're supplying the information to them, you also have to realize where they're getting their source and as is it valid. And so when you're going through the validation process, you have to consider the sources. Where are Where is the source that they're getting their information from? And if you're going to cite that source in your paper, you have to verify that it is empirical, that it is um, research backed, because um, if it's not and you quote that in your paper, then you run the risk of not being credit, uh, accredited either. So um, make sure you know what you're talking about. Make sure you're citing what you're, you know. I mean, AI is great in the sense that it'll give you the information and you can ruminate about it, but you also have to be able to cite it in a way that you would be given credibility and like, you know what you're talking about, not just sound like, you know what you're talking about, but prove it. Yeah. You know, as you're creating anything, you've got to know who is the audience? Who am I actually directing this to? Because that can change how you present the information. Uh, thank you very much for that. Asif, let's go to you. I was chatting away in the chat room there, um, having some fun. But I, I do want to capture this whole conversation here about with knowing doing and being right that is all eventual process that not just an organization but historically how humans have behaved towards you know once you find a exposure to a knowledge then if you do it and then if you keep doing it long enough you become it right and becoming it means that you have to start the process of knowledge all over again which means that preferably you continuously learn on a daily basis and ai machine learning is no different so i just want to kind of give the glimpse into what happened with chat gpt uh, when it was first released right prior to that it was ready for release 6 months before that but what they went through is the fact that they knew how to 
you know, pen test, um, have a blue team and red team attack it. So that way they're able to figure out data poisoning, data sabotage, and all those sort of things that they had to know about so they can do something about it and be a secure system that user can have a good experience with a siloed knowledge base. And that siloed knowledge base, uh, if you can imagine, you know, it's just a data center that is connected to the rest of the world. And that rest of the world is only connected one way, as in the chat GPT is not able to connect to the Internet. So recently they have opened it up to the Internet. And now uh, earlier I mentioned, you know, the if you, if you want the source to be validated, chat GPT might not do a good job at it because it has to respond very fast with the knowledge that it already has in place. But now that it's connected to the Internet, um, they're testing it and it slows down a little bit because now it's going through multiple levels of data sets, which it probably isn't really trained on very easily or previously. Um, and now it's going through the internet to tell you like, hey, I'm actually slow because I'm searching the internet for you, right? And, and that's a massive steps that they have to go through because now ChatGPT knows more and has to do more. And if it becomes complacent, just like humans do, which is that we go to university and we just give up on learning after that, we become very complacent in what it is that we do. ChatGPT will go through the same, right? But now the internet is continuously changing and shifting. How to monitor that will be a difficult task to keep up with, right? Because there's not enough humans that can monitor a system like ChatGPT, uh, which eventually will become monetized. And when it's monetized, there's a different interest involved. So uh, it's the user's ability to understand the facts that this is the nature of our being, as in we are always seeking knowledge and that knowledge becomes being and uh, doing. And if we do it long enough, we become being. Um, and that being could be that, you know, you're doing it for the good purposes or the bad purposes, right? Even a criminal goes through the same process at what a, a pope in Catholic church would go through, right? It's not a knowledge of knowing something and doing it so often. Um, so I just want to put that into context because uh, now that ChatGPT has internet connection, now that ChatGPT will have to go through process of finding unverified information and provides you that information uh, as as the truth. You know, I, I joked earlier that um, what is truth? Truth to me is that sun doesn't rise on the east, right? But to somebody who lives on the east and insists that sun rises on the east, that's their truth right? Sun is just standing there. We're evolving towards the sun. That's my truth, right? Um, so how do we make that difference, uh, um, you know, level set that difference so that way we can both agree to say like, yeah, you know, it's just a perspective, matter of perspective. How do you validate that information is different than how I would validate that, right? So I think that knowing, doing, and being piece of it is where I'm at. Uh, I want to leave you guys with that because uh, it's been a very interesting conversation. So glad to be part of this conversation because uh, you don't get to talk about philosophy a lot when it comes to data. <laughs> and that's what I do. I work with data. Um, data doesn't care about philosophy, neither does the, does the data users. Um, so very glad that I, I've been invited to this conversation and uh, glad to be here. Thank you all so much. Well, thank you very much for sharing your voice with us and adding to the great knowledge base that we get here every single week. Uh, Aaron, let's go to you. Yeah, honestly, I love having you here, Asif. That is fantastic. I saw you put that point a couple speakers ago in the chat, talking about that knowledge doing and being. And when I came in expecting, like, we, we had this topic of uh, AI creating better communicators out of humans. So I really sat and thought on that. And the same concept kept coming up to me of human nuance. The difference of like AI, like we said, can bring out the cognitive, can give us the bullet points of, hey, you know, you want to get hired, make eye contact, shake their hand firmly, all those things. But then you have to go out and do it. And 
part of the human experience is being messy. You know, we talk about communication, but when I hear communication as a coach, I hear connection. And I think, okay, how do we connect? And a lot of it's from being messy, from doing things improperly. And we talk about these prompts that we put in for the uh, chat GPT. And sometimes it needs to clarify. You put in a prompt and as Jeremy mentioned, oh, I might've asked something poorly. And so to me, some of it comes into the point of this bot's going to see things cognitively, but we as humans have to understand that there's an emotional aspect that might in the future, you know, if we, we think, you know, robot overlords, then they could emulate, but they can't copy. You can't copy emotion. You can emulate it. We have narcissists. We have psychopaths. We have sociopaths. They can emulate it. They can fake it. And maybe a robot would be able to do that. But it's us as human beings that need to understand that the emotion comes into play when we operate with these, these machines, with these tools. And, you know, I, I watched a really interesting documentary recently on you know the future of AI, and already there are you know people who are having relationships with characters that have been created you know through AI. And he, one of the people who you know he is in love with his AI partner, um, you know, was asked the question, "Well, is that real?" And his response was, "Well, it's real for me." And and does that make it real? And let, let me ask you that. I think yeah. To that person, it's real because your reality is your perception. Your perception is reality. Simple as that. And I think it comes down to the, I, you know, I preach this all the time, but your values and who you are as a person. You know, we talk about the um, garbage in, garbage out of AI and what you put in, it's going to be there. Uh, but there are some people who I remember very early on, there was this this meme where a guy was, uh, or maybe a girl, I don't know, some person on the internet, an anonymous figure they were gaslighting AI into saying two plus two equals five. And it's, you know, again, you can train it. That's what we're talking about here. And it's how we as humans decide to use it. And so it comes back, all, all of this is going to come back to us, our ethics, our communication. And it's how do we as human beings show up and utilize this as a tool? As we mentioned, we keep personifying it as, oh, this robot's going to take our job. But it's, it's us. It's a tool. It's how we show up that's going to dictate that future. Well, Jeremy, we're almost out of time. Uh, once again, another incredible conversation. And I feel a little bit better because I am one of those people who technology is maybe moving just a little bit too quickly. Uh, but it's just technology. I mean, it's it's neither good nor evil, but people are. <laughs> and so, you know, one of my concerns still is when we went, you know, when the lockdown occurred and all of a sudden everyone had to work from home, the first thing that business did was invest in spyware. So how can, can I have any confidence that, I mean, this is an ethical group of people. You're all have wonderful morals and you're lovely people, but this is not representative, at least to me, to, you know, the people in the business world who may be, you know, looking at this technology going, how do I use this now to, you know, continue to spy on my, you know, my customers or my employees, or how do I know this is not going to be used for evil? It can, there is so much good that can come out of it. The, you know, healthcare, there's so much good. I mean, you, I mean, you could go on and on 10 more, 10 more shows. Of course, there's obviously so much evil that can be done with it. And like Aaron was saying, it's a tool. So, so think about a circular saw, circular saw is a tool. So depending on whether I'm a handy person not a handy person or a psycho killer, it's going to, it's going to be different. 
So I could use it if I'm a handy person and probably not cut my thumb off. If I'm not that much of a handy person, I could cut my thumb off, meaning, ouch, hurting myself. Tom, I could also come to your house and chase you around the yard with it. Uh, be battery powered. Otherwise, it'd be funny because once the cord yanks out of the socket, you just <laughs> turn around and start laughing at me and you know, beat me with a log or something like that. So it depends on, you're right, it depends on, on the user or users. Lots of questions to ask again. It'll be quite interesting to look back uh, five years from now. That I want one last thing. I just put again this book, A Chance Encounter. I'm going to show you guys what it looks like. This is what it looks like. I put a little bit of information on it. There's not much information on it. I put that in the chat. Good luck finding it. If you find it, grab it. And if you find it, it probably only costs you a couple bucks. But if you find it anywhere, just, just grab it. Uh, I went on last week. I was trying to find it like where you guys could get copies of it and I couldn't find anything anywhere. But that's what it that's what it actually looks like if you see that online or anywhere. Next week, oh, first, we have our August three-day event for anybody interested in IO psychology, student, university, consultant, you, you're you the president of your company, you own a small business, free three-day event in August, cbock.com slash events. Next week's event is open mic. Uh, as, okay. Actually, I want to share this. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you can come on our show and talk and share your thoughts and your views. They're open mic events. Raise your hand. Tom will call on you. We're hanging out. Next week, we're going to do a part two of this topic today. Unless, because destiny always has override power. <laughs> and I don't know who's doing next week, if it's going to be her or I. But right now, it's going to be part two. And if Lee's still here, uh, you mentioned Obi-Wan Kenobi in the, uh, in the chat. You'll appreciate the image that's associated with next week's event. Tom, I have nothing else. Do you have anything else? Well, just also don't forget everyone to check out the IO pop-up networking that Lee does every yes. single week. Um, and if anyone has any other things they've got going on, just let us know and we will tell the world of Wokirky. Uh, and with that, Jeremy, I am done. So if you want to count us out, we are good to go. Absolutely. And Lee's networking events every Thursday night, right? Lee, Thursday night at 6 p.m.? 6, 6.30 Eastern. 6. 6. Aaron's saying 6. 6, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Counting Six, out. 6.30. 6.30. 6.30. <laughs> yeah. I put a three up there. And I'm Apparently, like, I can't read because it's 30. So. I, I, I can't read. Count. I just can't read how many fingers someone's on. <laughs> 6.30 p.m. every Thursday. Beautiful as always, everyone. Counting out in 5, 4... Three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com. <laughs>